0: Welcome to In the Oil Patch, presented by Shale Magazine, broadcasting from the Oilfield Expert Studios. Oilfield Experts, where you get the right products right now. In the Oil Patch is where, together, we explore topics that affect us all in oil, gas, business, and in your community. Every week, your host, Kim Bilotto, will visit with the movers and shakers in this fast-paced industry. You'll hear from industry experts, elected officials, and many more right here on In the Oil Patch.
1: And now it is time for me to welcome all my guests, Will. Uppman, who is the Vice President of Downstream Policy for the American Petroleum Institute. Will, welcome to In the All Patch Radio Show.
2: Kim, thanks so much for having me. A pleasure to be with you.
1: Well, we've had API on the show before, the American Petroleum Institute. It's a great Uh, organization that focuses, well, you can tell our listeners what you guys do, but we've had you guys on the show before. Uh, There's a lot of you guys down there fighting the good fight, helping our elected officials understand as well as the American people, the importance of oil and gas and what it means to us. It's crucial that we have an association that can help our legislators guide them through the policies that they make and how it's going to impact us, the American people. And so I'm I'm glad that you guys are down there. You guys do a great job. So before we get started with today's show, in which I will be discussing uh, API's comments urging the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration to reconsider its proposed corporate average fuel economy, better known as CAFE standards, Let me start by introducing you to our listeners. Tell me a little bit about what you do for API, the scope and the mission of API, and then, of course, your educational background. I believe you are attorney uh, by uh, trade, correct?
2: That's right. And thanks again for having me on, Kim. Uh, I'll start by noting that the American Petroleum Institute... Uh, is a trade association that represents all aspects of America's oil and natural gas industry. Uh, The oil and natural gas industry in this country uh, supports nearly 11 million U.S. jobs and accounts for roughly 8% of our national uh, GDP, your gross domestic product. API is proud to support uh, roughly 600 member companies in the oil and gas business, uh, everyone from fully integrated companies to independents uh, that really comprise all segments of uh, the industry. As we say, these are companies that make, move and improve the nation's energy. That includes producers, refiners, suppliers, retail marketing, pipeline operators, marine transporters, as well as service and supply companies uh, that support all aspects of the industry. Uh, I am the vice president of downstream policy at API, so we help uh, forge consensus amongst the member companies on policies affecting uh, refining uh, fuels, uh, marketing, as well as some downstream environmental health and safety issues Uh, We also work on uh, vehicle uh, standards, which are uh, increasingly uh, important to our industry and others. So I really appreciate you being on. A brief background uh, for me. uh, Educationally, I went to the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill for my undergraduate degree and have a law degree from Louisiana State University.
1: Very good. Um, So recently, uh, you all released a news release uh, let me read a little, a small section of it. The National Highway Traffic Safety Administration's proposal of yet is yet another attempt by the Biden administration to restrict Americans' freedom to decide what vehicle fits their needs. Combined with the EPA's proposed tailpipe admission standards, these rules amount to a de facto ban on cars and trucks using liquid fuels, meaning gas. Uh, which can and should be part of the solution to reduce carbon emissions. What I'm reading through this whole report is, um, and we're going to get in, we're going to break all this down in the show today, but I think what I'm feeling is that between these two uh, different agencies trying to implement these rules – we are all going to be at some point, uh, or they're gonna attempt for all of us to be in electric vehicles somewhere in the future. So I'm trying to understand how that's possible. uh, And so we're gonna break that down, but let's get into first of all, the the proposed changes. Um, Let's take one at a time. I know that the first one is the National Highway um, Traffic Safety Administration's proposals. Can you briefly go into more or less what those are? We'll drill down a little bit later, but the API was stressing the importance of looking at the rules before they implement them and the implications of them. So let's get started with, tell me a little bit about the de facto ban. Why do you guys feel that if the National Highway Safety and the EPA both create these rules, what's going to ultimately happen?
2: Great. Uh, Thank you. It's it's really difficult to keep track of how much uh is coming out of the administration in this space and how all of these different rules uh, relate to each other you mentioned the cafe rules most americans are probably familiar with that that's corporate average fuel economy standards and essentially dictate how many miles per gallon your vehicle gets Separately, there's another proposed rule uh, from EPA called the tailpipe standard, which regulates the amount of uh, carbon dioxide that comes out of your tailpipe. These two rules are related. You should probably think of them as two sides of the same coin. They're separately from that. There's an administrative, uh, excuse me, there's an executive order from the Biden administration uh, on his first weeks in office uh, requiring 50 percent electrification of federal uh, fleet vehicles. There is the renewable fuel standard, which EPA does, which dictates fuel composition. There is Department of Energy fuel equivalency standards. If your head is spinning, you're not alone. Mine is, too, which is just to say uh, there's a lot out there in this space right now. Uh, I I think really the one and two to focus on are the EPA tailpipe rules and NHTSA CAFE standards because these rules uh, were written in coordination. They're both currently proposals. That we expect to be finalized by the administration sometime next year. So, in terms of why we call it uh, a de facto ban, essentially because it is, it's not an explicit ban on internal combustion engines, but an EPA's own rationale of their tailpipe standards, they uh, foresee a 67% requirement for battery electric vehicles for passenger cars by 2032, and a 40% requirement of electrification in medium and heavy-duty trucks by 2032. So EPA's own analysis says in order to comply with this rule in the next nine years, you're going to be required to have the American vehicle uh, sales be two-thirds uh, electric vehicle for passenger cars and 40% for cars and trucks. Uh, so uh, it's uh, this is achieved through much stricter uh, tailpipe standards. And it's also important to note that uh, EPA and NHTSA, by extension, are really waving their magic wand here because uh, EVs would have a score of zero under their proposals um, because EPA is only, and and NHTSA only considers what comes out of the tailpipe and is not at all factoring in any kind of life cycle emissions. So, uh, So, really in a place where this administration has all of its eggs in the basket of subsidized electrification uh, in order to try to reduce transportation emissions, but really completely misses the opportunity to work with the existing fleet and future internal combustion engine vehicles to to help those vehicles be part of the solution for a lower emission future.
1: Well, and I want to also talk to you, the American Petroleum Institute, you guys are not, you guys recognize climate change is real. You recognize that, you know, we need to look at all the above in trying to reduce our carbon footprint. No one is against looking at standards provided that they make uh, sense and maybe that they're moving somewhat in a slower manner to where um, I think the American people can handle these adjustments. Because when when I'm looking at the the information you you have that you guys submitted, there's so many jobs that potentially we could be losing. There's just a lot to consider. It's too fast in looking at trying to make these transitions this quickly. And I don't think these are these unintended consequences that I think legislators never really look at before they start implementing these things. And then here comes, you know, the pain. So you guys have also. Uh, you're not the only one. The oil and gas industry API. Y'all are not the only ones who are uh, stressing caution on what they're doing. You guys have banned with like a hundred other associations from all different ranges. Tell me about that because this is this is across the entire spectrum. This is not just oil and gas anymore. This is what is going to affect
2: everyone. That's exactly right, Kim, and and, and thank you for raising that. Uh, Look, look, we certainly understand there's an enormous challenge to meet the world's growing need for energy, uh, while at the same time trying to usher in a lower carbon future. This is a massive undertaking, it's intertwined, it's fundamental, it's really an opportunity of our time, but we recognize that not only government, but industries and consumers are all going to have to act together uh, to solve it. And and our industry is certainly at the center of that. So we share the goal of reducing emissions across the broader economy uh, as API and specifically uh, those from energy uh, production and transportation. Just to give you sort of a, a, a level set of transportation, it's the largest economic sector contributing to GHG emissions right now. And it's one of the hardest to decarbonize. And so It's been tough to make uh, uh, progress on lowering emissions uh, from transportation. But I think where we uh, disagree with the Biden administration... Uh, is in their method to get us there. We share their goals of reducing uh, emissions from transportation, but we have strong disagreements with their methods. Uh, their current policies are are really designed to have all of their eggs in an electrification basket. Uh, they include things like uh, I, uh, ice bans and ZEV mandates. And these are items that are really narrow in scope and do not uh, avail themselves of the potential GHG emission reductions from the entire on-road vehicle fleet. These proposals are also not technology neutral. They don't factor in consumer choice. Uh, they don't uh, consider marketplace fairness or impacts to less affluent parts of society. They don't also don't foster innovation or marketplace competition. So we think these the, the proposals, like the EPA tailpipe proposal, like CAFE. Uh, really missed the mark. And and there's a much better way to do this. We think there's a a better way to reduce emissions in a more fair, more equitable, and more cost-effective manner. And that, to us, looks like technology-neutral policies at the federal level that really drive down GHG emission reductions by taking a holistic look and all of the above approach uh, to fuels vehicles and, and infrastructure systems so uh w- w- one last note I'll, I'll note a couple of years ago API uh, released its climate action framework which is really our bl- blueprint for tackling uh, climate change uh, throughout a uh, society part of that framework is our support for as I just mentioned technology neutral life cycle based policies uh, at the federal level that 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 really drive down uh, emissions I, I I think it's also important to emphasize the life cycle Uh, we're in this space where cars that have tailpipes are penalized in the current regulations and cars that don't have tailpipes are essentially given a free pass in terms of the regulations. So we just think that's fundamentally wrong and unfair. And so in order for us to understand the reality and future landscape of emissions, and in order for us to start making progress on those emissions in the shortest timeline, we really need to assess fuels and vehicles in a more accurate and transparent. Parent manner. In order to do that, we need to fully recognize that GHG emissions generated over the full life cycle of different vehicles. So, Again, using the tailpipe as a measuring stick made sense when every car had a tailpipe, but that's no longer the case. So uh, uh, so w- we really need to institute a life cycle based assessment so we can have an accurate and transparent understanding of the emissions that are out there and begin making progress in a fair way on reducing them.
1: Well, Will, let's take a quick break. When we return, we're going to drill down into the report a little bit more. You're listening to a new old patch radio show. and We'll be right back. And we're back. You're listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. My guest today is Will Upman, who is Vice President, Downstream Policy, API. Will, before the break, you were telling us between the Biden administration, uh, the national, one of his regulatory agencies, the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration has some proposed rules that they want to try to implement. Um, as well as there's new standards that the EPA is trying to implement when we're talking about tailpipe admissions as well. And coming together with these two different regulatory agencies, API, from what I'm hearing from you, has a lot of heartburn with it, thinking that it's probably not a good idea to take a a stance that one size fits all. When we think about, uh, as you said, this is going to have some dramatic changes uh, on everyone in every walk of life, no matter what you do, whether you're in or out of oil and gas, and so I want to break that down a little bit more, pertaining to what are the real problems here. And for our listeners, we we mention a lot of uh, GHG, which is greenhouse gas emissions. So just for the listeners, let's talk about first of all your approach. Um, that you guys, you know, we said earlier in the last segment that you guys do support the concept of the life cycle that uh, to approach the admissions reduction. Y- y'all don't have a problem with that. No one really does. We, we're all trying to move to, towards trying to look at climate change, lowering, you know, our carbon footprint and seeing, you know, how do we do this in an effective manner? But uh, the timeline uh, and the readiness, um, maybe we're not quite there yet. But let's let's break it down so our listeners can understand. Let's talk about, first of all, consumer choice for vehicles. In your report, you guys specify. Tell me about that. What is the issue for the consumer when we talk about choice for vehicles?
2: Absolutely. Uh, I, I think the, the crux of the proposals that we're talking about, EPA's tailpipe proposal and NHTSA's CAFE proposal, or that they're they're essentially prescribing one technology, electrification and and penalizing other technologies, forcing Americans to buy certain uh, types of vehicles into the future because other types won't be available. I think it's important to note that, let me start by saying that API does not oppose electric vehicles. We think electric vehicles are part of the solution to overall decarbonization, and they certainly fit the needs of uh, many Americans in terms of their transportation needs. Uh, EVs are rapidly growing. Uh, Last year, worldwide, one out of every seven cars uh, sold was an EV. That number's up from one out of every 70 uh, vehicles in 2017. So uh, also, uh, the number of EV models for sale are expected to double between 2022 and 2024. I think right now there are about 60 EV models for sale in the United States. That number is expected to grow to 134 next year. So I, I, I share all that to say that EVs are here to stay, um, and uh, API has has no concern or problem with that uh, whatsoever. But we think importantly, EVs are not the only solution and nowhere near fitting the transportation needs of all Americans. So while we recognize EVs will be a part of the solution to drive uh the carbon reductions, liquid fuels, uh, including uh, g- gasoline and ethanol, uh, can deliver near-term and ongoing carbon reduction benefits from the legacy vehicle fleet and future internal combustion engine vehicles uh, that will be offered. Our The rub is really with the Biden administration's approach, and that approach is prescriptive policies that essentially mandate the sale of uh, electric vehicles and or ban the sale of vehicles uh, equipped with internal combustion engines. That is not in the best interest Of the consumer. Uh, Furthermore, these policies prevent the marketplace from identifying the most efficient, lowest cost opportunities to reduce GHG emissions because they've essentially eliminated competition, they've distorted the market, restricted consumer choice, and all this may be potentially more costly to taxpayers. So let's keep in mind that if the goal here is decarbonization, then the most amount of GHG or greenhouse gas reductions in the shortest period of time really should be the measure of success. Unfortunately, the Biden administration has put all of their eggs in the electrification basket to the detriment of liquid fuels technologies that really can and should be a part of the solution. Let me just give you a few numbers to illustrate what I mean. Right now, there are about 270 million internal combustion engine vehicles on the road today. There are about 3 million battery electric vehicles. So 270 million uh, gasoline engines, if you will, 3 million uh, and, uh, battery electric vehicles. The official government projections from an agency called EIA, the Energy Information Ooh. Administration, show that there will still be 270 million internal combustion engine vehicles in 2050, along with 47 million battery electric vehicles. So official government projections show that we have 270 million vehicles now, we're going to have 270 million vehicles in 2050. Contrast that with the Biden administration approach, which is ignoring the vast majority of vehicles on the road and letting those vehicles be a part of a solution to lower carbon emissions, and essentially mandating a wholesale fleet turnover, where the only answer is electrification. We think electrification can and Probably should be the answer in some cases, but again, it's certainly not the answer in in, in all the cases. So if, if if you look at what it's going to take to to transfer 270 million vehicles and turn those into and uh, uh, battery electric vehicles, that's going to take about 15 years to fully turn over the fleet. Those are 15 years of missed opportunities for internal combustion engine vehicles and liquid fuels to really be a part of the solution to lower emissions now. The goal, it should be to lower the most emissions in the shortest period of time, and these proposals and rules really do the opposite of that. They delay uh, progress we can make now for a fleet turnover that's going to take a long time, potentially be more expensive, restrict consumer choice, and has wholesale reliance of critical minerals on countries that are not friendly to us uh, namely china
1: you know i, I was going to mention that we've got a i gotta take a quick break when we return i want to talk about that because i'm looking at well well how will the indigent be able to afford these electric cars we don't have enough charging stations we don't have enough battery the critical minerals which we're going to get into that later on in the show let's take a quick break <laughs> we'll be right back you're listening to a new old patch radio show
3: In the oil and gas industries, you don't just need a workers' comp provider. You need a workers' comp provider who understands your business. That's Texas Mutual Insurance Company. At Texas Mutual, they've created the Texas Oil and Gas Association Safety Group exclusively for businesses involved with exploration and production. That means you'll have access to information and safety resources that fit the way you work. But the advantages don't stop there. As a safety group member, you'll receive a premium discount on your workers' comp Plus, you can qualify for double dividends. You heard that right. Members can earn an additional dividend on top of the one you receive as a policyholder. It's all part of Texas Mutual's commitment to working as a partner with the businesses that keep our state running. Texas Mutual and the Texas Oil and Gas Association, two great organizations that are even better together. To see if you qualify to become a safety group member, go to TexasMutual.com T-X-O-G-A.
1: And we're back. You're listening to In the Old Patch Radio Show. My guest today is Will Upman, who is Vice President, Downstream Policy for API. Will, before the break, there are some proposals out there by the Biden administration, a couple of his uh, regulatory agency. One of them that we're talking about specifically today is the, the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration's proposals. And you guys uh, have some comments on, um, you know, how do we get there and how do we do this? And before we went to break, we were talking about the consumer impact and, you know, I've been on the show, I've been on the radio for eight years and and we recently have done some shows on electric vehicles. Um, I'm very interested in how this is going to work and, uh, looking at the timelines of how fast, uh, we are supposed to be able to enact all this stuff, not to mention the cost and um, the disruption that's gonna happen, but just looking at it from the consumer's perspective again, these, these cars are not gonna be affordable to uh, the indigent, at, not anytime soon. Um, and I don't think I have really, I, I, I travel a lot. I don't see a whole lot of places outside of California that have enough charging stations everywhere for the amount of numbers that you were talking about earlier in the uh previous segment and and not to mention we still have a huge problem in trying to figure out the battery shortage because we do not possess enough of the critical minerals needed for these batteries in these electric vehicles not to mention the cost of what those batteries will run when you have to replace them so um I'm trying to figure out how does this how is this really going to work? Is this even realistic? what these proposed changes are going to be?
2: We certainly don't think it's realistic. and And that's why we've uh, raised the alarm and 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 trying to share the message about why we think the administration's proposals, are misguided. I'm. I'm really happy you uh, mentioned the the critical mineral piece. That's something that that gives us a sp- specific concern. If these uh, the EPA tailpipe proposal and NHTSA Cafe proposal envision that two thirds of all vehicles in the United States will have to be battery electric by 2032 and 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 nine short years. And so that's going to require a lot of different things. You, you mentioned the uh, electric vehicle charging infrastructure upgrades. Critical minerals are a real big piece of that because of their uh, necessity in the manufacture of electric vehicle batteries. So uh, it's our our viewpoint that this EPA proposed mandate is going to increase our dependency on supply chains for minerals and processes for electric batteries, and those processes by and large are controlled by China. So today, up to 90%, 90% of the electric vehicle battery supply chain relies on China. The batteries that power these electric vehicles require critical minerals, including things like that you mentioned, like lithium, cobalt, uh, nickel, graphite, and manganese. And China produces 75% of these materials. Additionally, China controls 76% of the global battery cell production capacity. Official projections show that that doesn't show signs of improving much in the future. Uh, China's dominance is expected to only continue with 67% of all battery cell manufacturing controlled by China in 2032. So China uh, controls the vast majority of the materials that go into electric vehicle batteries and the processes for uh, uh, the composition of the batteries themselves. If you look at and and contrast with the United States, uh, we have 7% of the global battery production capacity. So it's in in addition to the consumer choice angle and uh, the prescriptive one size fits all government mandate, there's a real national security angle here Mm and that uh, this administration is relying on a technology that it itself relies on China uh, to uh, mine and and produce and assemble uh, before it it comes across to the United States. I think there's one other really important, interesting note on critical minerals. And this comes from uh, our our friends at, uh, at Toyota. They did a calculation on critical minerals and they demonstrated that one battery electric vehicle has the same amount of critical minerals as 90 hybrids. So nine zero hybrid vehicles same amount of materials. If you compare those two, the one uh, long range EV and the 90 hybrid vehicles, the the 90 hybrids achieve 37 times the emission reduction of the one battery electric vehicle. So you can take these same minerals, you can distribute them amongst hybrid vehicles, and with the same amount of stuff, achieve 37 times the emission reduction that you would with the one battery electric vehicle. So it, it's the approach is nonsensical from our viewpoint, in that we're going to outsource uh our supply, our domestic supply chains, and critical minerals necessary to meet these government requirements. While these same minerals can be used in different ways to achieve much more. Uh, much greater emission reductions in a shorter period of time. So uh, uh, w- w- we just don't think this approach envisioned in the EPA tailpipe proposal and NHTSA CAFE rules makes much sense at all. We're going to continue this. I got to take a quick break. You're listening to
1: In the old Patch Radio Show. We'll be right back. And we're back. You're listening to In the old Patch Radio Show. My guest today is Will Umpman, who is the vice president downstream policy for API well I'm so glad that you uh are joining me today because it, a lot of times when I get a guest on the show especially if they're from an association they're really uh kind of tightened up and and they want to you know talk about what their point is or their stances but they rarely go into the real uh, they 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 rarely go into the the rabbit holes, if you will, about the unintended consequences. And and I'm sorry, but I love the unintended consequences. Um, I love the unintended consequences because I think our listeners and we uh, as American people need to really pay attention and listen uh, when we're talking about such an important commodity. This is our energy security we're talking about. So I want to go back and revisit it. We will also get to the EPA tailpipe proposals as well. But let's go back and revisit. Okay, so we know that this probably isn't likely that we can do this. Uh, It'll cause the infrastructure will be flipped on its head. Most uh, indigent people are not going to be able to afford this. We have issues with the critical minerals, energy security, supply chain issues. And it and it it reminds me of COVID, when we outsourced one more time our vaccines, our masks, our gloves, almost everything that we needed as a country, uh when when COVID uh you know wrapped around the globe, we were left flat-footed, if you will, because um China was producing we were relying heavily on China. They were producing all this stuff. And it doesn't seem like we've learned our lesson because now we're going to do it again, but this time with electric vehicles. Um, And I want to hit on, you mentioned it earlier, energy security, supply chains. So you talked a lot about the critical minerals that we lack that we would be beholden to China. What are the security implications, energy security implications that we could be seeing Um, if we relied on China to produce this for us?
2: Yeah. Thank you, Kim. Uh, In the United States, we had the great benefit of being the world's largest oil and gas producer. And with that comes both uh, national security and energy security. Uh, I think uh, it's been said that energy security is national security. The, Mm -hmm. the, the, The problem with the Proposals, the EPA tailpipe proposal and the NHTSA Cafe proposal, is that it puts all of its eggs in the basket of electrification and it forces two-thirds of all passenger vehicles to be electrified by 2032. In so doing, uh that's going to require a great amount of materials and, and processes to meet this mandate. Uh, and right now, as we were discussing, China controls. Uh, not only the majority of the critical minerals that go into battery electric, uh, excuse me, into batteries for electric vehicles, they also process 75 percent of these materials worldwide. So our our the uh, Biden administration's proposal envisions a future that mandates a certain type of vehicle technology that we as the United States are reliant on China to produce and assemble and uh as our current uh biggest geopolitical rival uh you can understand why this is not a good idea uh to be reliant on a foreign country especially uh a, a foreign competitor uh for the uh basics and ingredients to America's transportation needs so uh we think that uh this is the wrong approach that a better approach would allow uh, all technologies to compete would be technology neutral, uh, would emphasize the life cycle of the vehicle, would uh, take into account a consumer choice, uh, consumer acceptance, uh, affordability, and, and and reliability. So look and, and at today's time of hot of inflation of high interest rates, rising costs, uh, we think the last thing Americans need, is to find both new and used vehicles to be unaffordable because of an EPA mandate. Uh, this yeah. EPA mandate would also radically reshape America's auto industry and the types of vehicles in America's driveways. So, uh, again, uh, API, we are we are not opposed to EVs, but EVs may not be the right choice for everyone at the right time, especially if folks are required to haul or drive long distances in areas without charging infrastructure, of which there are many in the country, or if you live in a colder climate, a fully battery electric vehicle may not meet your needs. And uh, in in recent months, I think evidence has been bearing that out. And in terms of uh, the current supply of electric vehicles is exceeding uh, current demand. So uh, we're uh, firm believers that the American people and not the government should be the ones to choose which vehicle is right for them.
1: Correct. I think also the supply chain issue, you know, when you don't have enough, we saw this also post COVID where for some reason or we had such a shortage of vehicles because once again, we rely on China for the chips that go into the cars. And we saw how high vehicles went and we're going to tinker with that again as well. You're listening to in the old patch radio show and we'll be right back.
0: Attention small and medium-sized business owners. Are you feeling overwhelmed with back office tasks like payroll, workers' compensation, federal regulations, safety laws, employment standards, and benefits? Don't worry. Unique HR has your back. For over 30 years, our team of qualified professionals has been providing people-centered solutions to help businesses like yours navigate the heavy burden of running a business and managing their workforce. We're the PEO with a pulse, and we are just a phone call away. Call us today at
4: 361-852-6392. Unique HR, the partner you can and trust. Hey, when you're in business, you have to make a lot of tough choices. So let's talk about an easy one, your workers' comp coverage. If you're a propane or butane dealer or operator, you need to join the Lone Star Energy Safety Group through Texas Mutual Insurance Company. As a member, you'll automatically get a discount on your premium, plus you can earn double dividends that'll go straight into your pocket. It's the easiest decision you'll ever make. Find out more at TexasMutual.com slash Lone Star Energy. Are you a business owner feeling overwhelmed where to begin your business's online presence? Maybe you've spent thousands of dollars in the past just to be highly disappointed with the results. We understand because we were once you. Since then, we decided to hire the very best experts to help us and you. Let us send you our business profile that will quickly show you your Google business rankings in these five areas. Reputation, ratings online, website, and advertising and social media and search engine optimization all of these areas really affect how google ranks your entire listing so if ranking on page one is your goal pick up the phone and call us now 210-240-7188 or simply go to shalemag.com business profile we'll be in contact with you within 24 hours once again, pick up the phone and call us now, 210-240-7188, or simply go to shalemag.com. That's S H A L E M A G.com slash business profile. Start dealing with a company you can trust and always find.
0: Again, that's 210-240-7188.
1: And we're back. You're listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. My guest today is Will Umpman, who is the Vice President, Downstream Policy for API. Will, y'all's position is questioning and challenging. Does the National Highway Safety Administration have the authority to be putting regulations in place when we're talking about vehicle standards?
2: That's a great question Kim. Thank you. Uh we have open questions about that. Uh I think we uh the both the EPA and Nitsa have seemed uh to uh, exceed their authorities in setting standards uh, that are so strict and so prescriptive as to force one technology to the detriment of all other technologies. Uh so we think the standards themselves uh, exceed those agencies technologies uh, in contrast to previous versions, which uh, NHTSA clearly has authority uh, to make vehicles more efficient. Uh, we think in this instance they have gone uh, a, a, above and beyond and, and, and to a place again that where electrification and battery electric vehicles are the only types of vehicles that can meet these standards. This is really to the detriment of a lot of other solutions uh, that can be brought to the table. Uh, And again, we think liquid fuels can and should be a part of the solution going forward. There's lots of exciting developments uh, in that space. And I would just note, uh, in terms of the progress of internal combustion engine vehicles and liquid fuels, uh, EPA data itself shows that since the 1970s, emissions from common pollutants and and vehicles have been reduced by 99% in both light and heavy-duty vehicles. So from 1970 to now, common pollutants are down 99%. Additionally, in terms of CO2 emissions or uh, carbon uh, dioxide emissions, those are down 25% since 2004. So, a lot of progress has been made. A lot more progress can be made. And there are lots of technologies that are operating now and in development that show promise for helping reduce emissions from the transportation sector. Those are things like the standalone production and co processing of biofeedstocks, which make renewable fuels. There's manufacturing of lower carbon ethanol. There's manufacturing of renewable natural gas from things like wastewater and landfill gas and biodigesters at farms. There's production of blue and green hydrogen. There's direct air capture. There's carbon capture and sequestration. There's installation of hydrogen fuel stations and on and on. And I mention these things because none of them are contemplated to be a part of a solution of the administration's proposals, which is solely focused on battery electrification and doesn't give space For these other things and other developments that are ongoing that use existing infrastructure, existing American uh, energy uh, that uh, show a lot of promise. But in order to take advantage of these, uh, we need to have that technology neutral life cycle based approach that I mentioned earlier to both fuel and vehicle standards uh, in order to improve our carbon intensity and really minimize the abatement cost of reducing emissions.
1: Well, I'll be one to say it. I'll be the last one to give up my gas guzzling vehicle. Why? Because I don't want to sit and wait for my vehicle to charge when it's easy to pull up to a gas station and be out of there in three minutes. That being said, let's switch gears, Will, and let's get on to the EPA's tailpipe standard proposal. Tell me about that.
2: Absolutely. Uh, This proposal came out in April, and uh, this is a a rule or regulation, if you will, that is expected to be finalized early next year. Uh, As we discussed earlier, the rule amounts to a de facto ban on internal combustion engines, and it does this because the rule itself says that in order for it to be met in 2032, uh, it's going to require 67 percent or two-thirds of all passenger vehicles in the United States to be battery electric, Uh, and it's going to require 40 percent of all medium and heavy-duty trucks to be battery electric. So I don't. I, I, so with a that's essentially a two-thirds mandate, which is why we are calling it a de facto mandate. I don't want to get lost in the numbers or minutia, but the mechanism for the rule is a measurement of grams of carbon dioxide per mile. So the current standard uh, for fleet average is about 186 grams of carbon dioxide per mile. This EPA proposal is gonna take it down to 82 by 2032. So 82, what does that mean? It's just a number, right? But uh, compare it to the top five selling vehicles today in the United States. So the the standard envisions at 82 grams CO2 per mile. Right now, a Ford F-Series pickup truck comes in at 436. The Chevrolet Silverado comes in at 489. Ram pickups, 407, Toyota RAV4, 292, Toyota Camry, 338. So the, those are the top five selling vehicles in the United States. The most efficient one of those is a Toyota Camry at 338 grams per mile. And the EPA says that you're going to have to reduce that amount by quadruple to meet our 82 uh grams of co2 per mile standard which is to say internal combustion engine vehicles are not going to be able to meet this standard and and the standard is set in such a way where battery electrification is the only answer and that's what makes it a de facto mandate and forces consumers uh in 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 that direction i think uh, to add insult to injury to that there's also an element of the proposal for criteria pollutants that would basically require internal combustion engine vehicles to have PM filters in their cars. This is something that is, adds cost and complexity for the very types of vehicles this rule is designed to put out of business. So again, uh, EPA has all of its eggs and subsidized electrification, but really completely misses the mark to craft a rule that works with the existing fleet that will lower emissions for, for those vehicles. I think we've, we've talked about uh, EPA tailpipe rule. We've talked about Nitsa CAFE. I think the other big piece out there worth mentioning is California. Um, California has basically been allowed since the 1970s to institute its own emission standards. It's for historical reasons, uh, but California since the 70s can, can set their own standards. They have and they continue to, and their current standard is something called ACC2, Advanced Clean Cars 2. And what that envisions is a 100% battery electric vehicle mandate by 2035 in California. And you may say, it's just one state, not that big of a deal. The problem is that 16 other states and Washington, D.C. follow California's rules under the Clean Air Act. So you have 17, basically 17 states that have some kind of uh, ZEV mandate, uh, zero emission vehicle mandate or ICE ban. These 17 states, including California, make up 40% of the domestic car market. So they have a direct impact, these standards have a direct impact on the models and offerings. It's unrealistic to think that vehicle manufacturers are gonna produce some models of vehicles for part of the country and produce other models for other parts of the country. So California through its stringency and envisioning a 100% battery electric vehicle requirement in 2035 is really leading the way in, 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 in combination with the EPA tailpipe standards and and, and NHTSA cafe standards. But so these, these combination of things, make no mistake, are going to hurt consumer choice, uh, possibly require higher cost vehicles, and are going to again lead to an increased reliance on foreign supply chain.
1: These kind of this kind of show makes my head explode when I'm thinking about it. It is absolutely mind-boggling what's happening here. It's not even uh possible for us to get to this. But I guess we're gonna go down this road anyway. Well, This is the part of the show where I hate because I have 100 more questions for you, but I'm out of time. Um, It's kind of hard to believe that the EPA is going to push these standards through and we're going to start seeing this process, even though we lack the infrastructure and the minerals and the supply chain to be able to do this. For this great report and to learn more about API and what you guys are doing, where can our listeners go to to get your report and read about it themselves and start really drilling down into the impacts as a result of these policies from these two agencies?
2: Thank you again for having me. Uh, Much more information can be found on our website, api.org. Uh, That includes uh, fact sheets and and data about uh, all the things that that we've discussed.
1: I think it's also uh, worth noting that you guys have something that is called Energy Citizens. I highly recommend everybody going to your website, signing up for it and staying in the loop and turning into an advocate for the oil and gas industry. You guys, that's what you all do. And you like to get consumers to come in and sign up. And when we need to talk to our elected officials, we go, you know, you guys have our names so we can write our elected officials and tell them we're either for or against an energy policy that is either makes sense or does not make sense thank you again for coming on in the oil patch radio show we look forward to having you back as a guest in the near future
2: thanks so much for having me kim
0: i really enjoyed it in the oil patch is where together we explore topics that affect us all in oil gas business and in your community every week your host kim bilato will visit with the movers and shakers in this fast-paced industry you'll hear from industry experts elected officials and many more right here on in the oil patch